from the crypt. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent in the new studio here at the dig.com offices in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We moved over the East River. I'm happy to be where I am right now. I miss Barstool. Uh, but but on to new things. So the second podcast of the day, believe it or not, we had Saferdina Moose in the office earlier this morning for a quick rip to talk about his book, The Bitcoin Standard. We got into uh, talking about industrial sludge by the end of that one. But I'm very excited for this podcast tonight, not only because of the guests, but because we're drinking again. We've got Bullet Bourbon back in the studio. Need it. It's been a long day. That was an early podcast rip. Uh, but we're going to jump into this one. This is going to be a longer conversation than the one I had with Saif. Um, I want to introduce you all to angel investor in the space and a prolific writer, uh, Murad Mamadov. Murad, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you, Marty. Glad to be here. Big fan of the show and um, very humbled to be here, especially after titans such as Saif Dean, John Newberry, Matt Corallo. Um Really excited and uh, excited to have this conversation. You know what? We like we like getting everybody on here, especially if you uh, you have very interesting thoughts in the space. And you, my friend, I would say you and your writing partner Adam Tash Tashe, however you pronounce his last name, uh, have written two of the most prolific pieces on Bitcoin this year to date: uh, the four faces of Bitcoin and Bitcoin past and future. Just curious, what inspired you two to write those pieces? Um, we're always thinking about um, always thinking about anything we can do to evangelize this space to accelerate the adoption uh, one of our upcoming blog posts is actually a list of 100 things that anybody can do to accelerate the adoption of Bitcoin around the world 100 things 100 things oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, we really want to see this movement succeed we really want to um, enter an era of sound money um, and enter an era of true sovereign individuals um, so writing writing long blogs is the smallest thing anyone can do and uh, we hope that this is merely the beginning yeah i mean it's been incredible stuff i think uh the four phases of bitcoin in particular you guys did an incredible job of breaking down sort of the different schools of thought within bitcoin in particular like obviously there's a whole shit coin landscape but even within bitcoin there's factions so basically it broke down into Monetary maximalists, Austrians, uh, John Nash, ideal money. Um, help me out here. B cashers. B cashers, and the last one was sort of the DeSantis, Mark Wilcox, yes, school of thought. School of thought, the quantum, uh, the quantum entanglement. Uh, right. Bitcoin and its and its forks are, are sort of a tree. Yeah, their their vision is almost mis- techno mystical, as mm-hmm. I like to say. <laughs> I love. I mean, I love this too because they they force people to think different and. Um, so what, uh, where in between the four faces of Bitcoin, what face, what mask do you like to wear? I like, I ascribe to the first one, um, especially when it comes to Bitcoin itself, mm-hmm. um, sort of more of the Austrian approach. Um, I see Bitcoin as, and it, it's a very rough metaphor, but almost like a stricter sounder gold, um, mm-hmm. I like what Seyfedian, by the way, likes to say about um, Bitcoin, that it's, it's less like an iPhone and more like gunpowder uh, <laughs> in the sense that um, you can avoid using the iPhone and still thrive in the modern age. But like when gunpowder came around, if you weren't one of the civilizations who adopted it, then 
the consequences weren't very good. Um, I like to say that the digital gold meme is almost like a very loose, very like distant analogy. And the more appropriate description is more like digital monetary nuclear weapons. <laughs> just like the nuclear, yeah, just like the nuclear weapons in the middle of the 20th century. If you're one of the top six, top seven sort of civilizations or nations, and you don't make sure that you have a possession of at least a handful of nuclear weapons, then you wouldn't have the kind of power that other nations would. And I think this is sort of a similar monetary phenomena. Yeah, have you ever seen that time-lapse video of uh, countries adopting nukes and like testing them on YouTube? It's pretty crazy to see. Yes. It's, um, it's pretty fucked up what we did to, uh, to some islands in the Pacific, you know, just completely nuking them. Well, islands in the Pacific, even more so, um, I myself am from the Soviet Union, so we, I believe still, Russia has like, in terms of raw numbers, the, the biggest number of nukes, mm -hmm. either they did or they still do, and um, they built a bomb, I believe, that, that was like 60,000 times bigger than Hiroshima and Nagasaki bomb, Holy shit. and essentially, they tested them like above Russia, like around the Arctic, where no one lives, um, and you can still see on Google Maps like hundred kilometer holes, like craters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, it's crazy. Yeah, it's uh, it's gotten to a point nuke wise though, where it seems like the uh, the game theory is such that like the only decision uh, for the game is not to play. You know. Well, there's a lot of also, there's a lot of uh, similarities with like these cryptocurrencies as well. Like the whole point of nuclear weapons isn't to use them, but like just to have them. It's almost like a Mexican standoff type situation exactly. where you need to have them um, almost like an entente in a way or, or like a detente. So, sorry, um, where a bunch of uh, strong superpowers essentially arrive to this like equilibrium where mm -hmm. they have it and it, they almost like keep each other in check. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we're seeing the mad dash for Bitcoins. Maybe it will incite a, a similar sort of arms race. And I, I would argue it is. Uh, I bet it's all going on behind the scenes. I mean, I like to say that the moment some mid-sized Asian central bank announces that they put 1% of their portfolio in what will probably be like um, top three cryptocurrencies is what they'll probably do, um, just not to gamble. Um, I mean, that will be the defining moment. At the same time, though, I believe some of them probably already are doing something like that in small quantities. Mm -hmm. The sort of isolated nations in particular, like Venezuela, Iran, North Korea, there have, there have been some, there has been some evidence that they're already sort of doing what's called state mining, where they're just either installing um, mining farms themselves or uh, expropriating them entirely and then just uh, seizing uh, control over them because um, state mining is essentially buying the same thing as buying anonymously with electricity yeah i saw one crazy stat like because of how cheap oil is in venezuela in particular like the cost to mine one bitcoin is like 580 dollars yes like you have an yeah. automatic 10x on your return right now because the price is falling but it's that's insane like the sunk cost of $580 to mine a Bitcoin is, is ridiculous. And I've actually seen videos of Venezuelan state mining farms that are, that are up in, in up like guards standing with AKs around them. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. I saw that as well. It's, uh, 
it's insane. And uh, but that scares a lot of people that like these technologies proliferating in these sort of despot despot run uh, countries run by despot despots. Um, is it, what do you what do you have to say? Though? Like people are like, I mean, oh my god, it's like this. Uh, this we see similar patterns with a lot of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, things like war, um, things like the porn industry, um, all, all all these things that are like considered to be dark have led civilization towards eventually has 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 led the world towards greater sort of technological innovations. Um, even like the earliest use cases for a car was for bank robberies, I believe. Really? Um, and yeah, I mean, a lot of the earliest technologies are, are used for dark purposes because criminals are always looking for sort of competitive advantages and are more willing to take risks, obviously, with new sort of gambles. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that this is, this is similar to uh, people stating for years that Bitcoin is for criminals and things like that. I mean, that's absolute nonsense. I mean, if you're a criminal, then just using straight cash is much better. It's I much mean, better. Why would you use a transparent ledger to conduct criminal activities? It makes no sense. Yeah, in fact, HSBC has uh, teller windows specifically uh, shaped for your briefcases filled with cash if you're trying to launder money and you're a drug cartel or something like that. I mean, the amount of money that is laundered or otherwise negatively used through cryptocurrencies even to the to date is nothing compared to the amount of uh, money laundering that happens through fiat currencies so yeah um, I mean that's that it pales in comparison and you'd be dumb to launder you'd be dumb to do out illegal activities with Bitcoin specifically because it's fully traceable uh, to an extent if you have uh, pointers at exchanges or on and off ramps um, but the reason I brought you on today, we've got a list of things we need to debunk. And we're going to dive into it. First one, blockchain, not Bitcoin. Why, are we, why, why, can't, why isn't blockchain technology like the, the best thing to happen since sliced bread? Like it's supposed to solve all the world's problems. It's supposed to solve our, our supply, supply chain management problems, our art ownership problems, blood diamonds. Why Bitcoin, not blockchain? I mean, it is my hope, my sincere hope that even people who in 2014, 2015 really sort of perpetuated this false mantra, even people at banks these days, even the relatively unsophisticated market observers and participants are realizing that this is completely false. Um, I don't want to say that money is the only thing that blockchains are good for. I certainly believe that that is... That is their best use case. Um, I believe that over sort of longer periods of time, we will see a bunch of uh, legit non-scam use cases of blockchain technology as time goes on. Um, But um, my thesis, and this is somewhat counter to sort of the FAT protocols, the shared data layer (laughs) thesis. um, It's another thing we have to debunk. Well, something something, um, me and Adam call the FAT money thesis. And essentially... We believe that the fattest protocol, so to speak, or, or the biggest value accrual will, will occur w- with the blockchain networks that become seen and become used as money. Um, and of course, we can get into who the best candidates are for that upcoming role. But um, just because a lot of people say that, oh, so many people are but so many people are building on top of Ethereum, man. Um, <laughs> there's like, they have like 400,000 developers, don't they? Um, 
I don't think that the amount of people building on top of a, a system is necessarily the determinant of what will become the biggest, soundest form of money of the future, mm-hmm. or what will become the neo gold, if I may. Um, I think that theoretically, of course, there's some overlap, but theoretically, you can have hundreds of useful dApps on top of Ethereum. I mean, let's entertain that idea at least, mm-hmm. um, and have quadrillions of dollars moving through the Ethereum system or moving through any kind of smart contract system, and it still wouldn't accrue value. I mean, it's, that's theoretically possible well, be- due to the by now famous velocity problem, of course. Exactly. Um, and uh, what really matters is which crypto asset people will hold for months at a time, for years at a time even. Um, those are going to be the crypto assets that will become uh, double-digit trillion-dollar networks if we calculate it in 2018 U.S. dollar terms. Um, I really, the most annoying people are those who say, oh, the killer app for Bitcoin and the killer app for blockchain hasn't been invented yet. (laughs) Those are the most annoying people because Bitcoin is the killer use case. Like it's, we're trying to replace money. We're trying to create a better form of money. Um, The second most annoying thing is People like um, cashers, Ripple lovers, IOTA lovers, Nano lovers. Hey, we respect cashers here. We refer to it as BCH, all right? <laughs> yeah, we, we got to be politically <laughs> correct. Uh, Litecoin lovers, even, I would say. Um, they say, oh, but Nano is faster. It's, it's so much faster. I mean, a lot of people, and um, a lot of people are lately talking about this. They confuse um, means of payment with medium of exchange. And... This was yeah. This was a good. Um, this was a good tweet storm. I, was it you or uh, somebody tweeted like a quote from like a Telegram group that I wrote? Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, yes, that was it. Yeah. That was it. So, like, what makes something a medium of exchange is that people are willing to exchange it for goods and services. And if something becomes a desirable store of value and essentially saturates the the, the vision and the market for a store of value people see other people desiring something as a store of value, they will uh, be willing to accept it for as a medium of exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, the speed of the network isn't even in the top five most important properties that will, I believe, define, define the store of value winner. Um, and so we're not trying to build a better PayPal here. Um, trying to create a new money. And frankly, even if we were, I would find that unexciting. Mm-hmm. What we're trying is to create better central banking essentially and a better form of monetary unit yeah. uh, because PayPal is merely like the tray on top of which the food rests it's it's a pipeline that's mm-hmm. all it is um, I, Vijay, Vijay Boyapati has a very good article um, the bullish case for Bitcoin and he's also that was a series like and he rolled it up into one article it's an incredible if you haven't read that it was yet. one of the best articles that is on crypto medium uh, real underscore Vijay look him up on Twitter shout out shout out um, shout out Vijay if you ever want to come on the pod yeah, and like up, right. essentially the like the total addressable market and for the payments industry is nothing compared to the total addressable market for wealth, like right. or for monetary instruments. Right. Yeah? And it's the latter that we want. And so, it's a much bigger elephant. So you said the speed of transactions is not even in the top five of uh, the future store value in your mind. What what are you say are what would you say are the most pertinent attributes of, of the store value? So there's a lot of debate around this issue right now. And there's a lot of talk about sort of path dependency and ways to which 
sort of this grand store of value achievement will be accomplished. But I believe that much more um, important than raw speed of transactions is security. I think security is number one. And both sort of the security in terms of the quality of code, because at the end of the day, um, it's important to understand that these cryptocurrencies are what I like to describe as hybrid money softwares. Um, and I believe a lot of thought leaders in the space, quote unquote, thought leaders. <laughs> believe that run away from the thought leaders, freaks. Yeah. If somebody says that they like understand <laughs> cryptocurrencies, <laughs> then, then, then they don't understand cryptocurrencies. <laughs> um, it's like Albert Einstein said, if someone tells you that they understand quantum mechanics, they don't understand quantum <laughs> mechanics. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, these are hybrid money softwares and a lot of people pay more attention to the software and less attention to the monetary aspects. And I believe that we need to, the monetary aspects, because the, the, the end desire and the end scenario where immense amount of value accrues to these protocols is if they become global money. So I think when we're trying to invest, when we're trying to analyze, when we're trying to see which uh, protocols will truly be huge in the future, then we need to look, at w the monetary characteristics need to take precedence. And so I believe that security, both in terms of cost of mounting attack, and like we can talk about hash power, proof of work, et cetera, but security in terms of cost of mounting an attack and security in terms of quality of code, um, general decent levels of decentralization and censorship resistance is why we are here in the first place. And that matters a lot. That's one of the reasons I don't think that something like EOS or something like Ripple or Stellar will ever become global stores of value because they are remarkably centralized. And at that point, I might just use dollars. Like, why would I use, why would I use those, those things? Exactly. Um, I think that immutability uh, and general ledger irreversibility is very important. And for sort of the um, people who pay particularly careful attention to um, sort of who consider that blockchains are supposed to be as irreversible as possible. Some of the protocols that have been known to reverse certain transactions or cancel certain blocks in the past, um, that doesn't bode well for the, the credibility of, of their system. Is that a subtle knock at, at Ethereum? I mean, we all remember what happened in June 2016, <laughs> in, in the summer of 2016. You can all yeah. stop trading now. Okay, guys, you can stop trading now. Yeah, um, I think that sort of the credibility of monetary policy is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are saying, oh, we need inflationary systems and they're more sustainable or whatever. Um, Let's get into that. Like, what the fuck? Like, Bitcoin was an overt, basically, it, it was an overt response to uh, a fiat inflationary system, like, written into the Genesis block. I mean, I, I think this is becoming like somewhat of a like a controversial opinion, but like if it's not fixed supply, then why would anybody invest in these things? Like that's the biggest value proposition. Right. The whole point is digital scarcity. That's the number one innovation that Satoshi gave us. Um, if it's the, tw the 21 million Bitcoin supply limit is the most important thing in the system. Right. If you're going to start inflating, um, inflating these systems, like most smart contract protocols are trying to do, um, like Peter Ryzen wants to do with his <laughs> Bitcoin unlimited scheme or whatever, um, then like the value proposition just isn't there. Um, the whole point is to have sound money and sound money is a disinflationary one and one when there's a fixed cap. So like that's that. Yeah. 
Um, now it, it gets a little bit more complicated because uh, once sort of people have raised, like Princeton researchers have raised the problem that, oh, like the way Bitcoin is right now, if the fees are a bigger proportion of sort of the uh, resources that are incentivizing miners as opposed to the, the inflation rate, then um, they might engage in some malicious, they might be incentivized to engage in some malicious activity, fee sniping, um, things like that. Uh, but I, I believe that um, these problems are solvable and we still have 15, 20 years to solve them. Yeah, so when I talked about with Matt Corallo, um, we put it, we, I think we ended up on like 12 to 15 years, like with the block, with the way the block rewards are, are lining up. Uh, it's definitely a problem that needs to be solved. Like there needs to be a subsidy for the block reward, but it all depends on the price, right? Like, so if the price appreciates the pace it has been, like you might only need like a, like very, very small fees on a Satoshi per byte basis, you know? For sure. And I mean, there's only so much money in the world, um, but a, a, a continual rise in price would certainly help the situation. At the end of the day, uh, I believe the fees would have to go much higher. Um, I believe also... Um, Do you think we need like a 12.5 Bitcoin per block fee um, regime in the future? Like right now, the block rewards twelve and a half Bitcoin. No, but it's it's going to half uh, in two years. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. But like what like what is, or what will be the the uh, acceptable fee fee reward per block fee reward fee collection per block or whatever. They well, there's going to be a, a fee market. I mean, it's exactly. going to be decided by the free market. Our our hope is that we can uh, engineer the system in a way that uh, the fees that miners will be receiving from uh, people uh, using Bitcoin as a transactional system will be sufficient to make the system sustainable and make the security of the system robust. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, let's dive into that, the security of the system. We were talking about the feedback loop that is Bitcoin mining and the beautiful incentive system incentive system that Satoshi designed. So Bitcoin is a beautiful feedback loop. I would say the feedback loop started with Laszlo, with the pizza, when when it moved from a collectible to somewhat of a medium of exchange. As soon as somebody put value on it, like, all right, I'm going to value these Bitcoins at two two pizzas, two Papa John's pizzas, it started the feedback loop, which is price. Miner saw that, hey, somebody's valuing these Bitcoins. I'm going to expend some energy to try to get some and liquidate that for some value. So you see a price that brings on miners, which brings security to the network, which makes the network more secure, which in turn makes the network more desirable for people to store their money, which drives the price higher, which brings more miners, which makes it more secure, which drives people to buy it. And it's a feedback loop. And you were talking about one part of this feedback loop that I was missing, and that's uh, the hardware. Well, yes. And to add yet another sort of uh, additional positive wrinkle to that feedback loop is mm -hmm. uh, the fact that sort of the efficiency um, the, many kind, the many different kinds of efficiencies of ASICs that are securing these systems have also been improving. So this essentially, the, the, the exponential curve uh, of, of, of security, um, which are sort of securitizing the system, is even steeper in that sense. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by steeper? Like the efficiencies caused by the R&D going into making more efficient ASICs is like... Precisely. The... the, the I believe the cost of hard the, the raw uh, cost of hardware has been improving, um, and also the the energy efficiency of of, of ASICs has also been improving um, per unit of per unit of security that they add to the system. Yeah, there was a 
crazy stat. I don't know exactly what the stat is or line or tidbit is that like there's never been a turnaround from R and D to production of chip manufacturing than there has for like ASIC chips for, for Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining in particular. Like it is driving people to innovate at a pace that we've never seen before. For sure. And that's one of the biggest differences between sort of the Bitcoin standard and the gold standard uh, is the fact that like the more money, the more people that elect to use Bitcoin as their, as their store of value, the, mm-hmm. the more security, the more security it will become. Um, and uh, I, it's 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 one of the most secure systems in the world in 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 terms of the raw computational power that's securing it, which is um, which makes it very secure. And and, and uh, I be, like I think from like a cognitive perspective, that's a very interesting point to understand. Yeah. Do you think we ever uh, level out in hash power? Or do you think we move to Dyson spheres and just keep getting as much energy as possible? Um, I, I think it will like probably taper out in like a um s curve type fashion but mm-hmm. it will remain very very high yeah yeah and that's uh yeah i think last night at BitDevs we brought up the the website that shows you how expensive it is to to attack a chain and it would cost you like half a million dollars an hour to try to attack bitcoin but the price is probably precipitously higher uh considering who you need to coordinate that and blah 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 yeah, I haven't delved into this issue that deeply, but I believe that like, are you talking about the like, crypto fifty one dot app or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that though the price is shown there. Well, a they don't include the hardware; they only mm-hmm. include the like the uh, the electric component. The power, yeah. And also, like, it's the cost to attack the system. I believe for one hour. Yes, for one for, hour. For, for one hour. For one hour, yeah. For uh, like for the big cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin in particular, I believe you would need to like attack it for like many, many, many hours to do any kind of significant yeah. damage. So, yeah. Yeah. so you're burning a million dollars for right. two hours of your time. So I, like, the, the true cost would be way more expensive than like, the numbers that you're seeing there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so it's, we're, we're almost a decade in. Are we past the point of, of Bitcoin being like, secure against nation-state attacks? The think? point of no return. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I would like to hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, the best attacks against Bitcoin probably aren't the computational ones anyway. They're probably social, social yeah. media attacks, regulatory attacks, financial attacks. Um, Let's dive into these different scenarios, like social attacks. What are we talking about? I mean, people talk about many different scenarios. Um, the biggest risk against Bitcoin still uh, is probably regulatory and this applies to i i think all sort of monetary instruments that re- that reside on these blockchain systems is some critical countries or some critical markets just outright banning or shutting down exchanges uh the fiat on ramps are definitely sort of the biggest bottlenecks mm-hmm. my hope is that once major institutional investors arrive and i think it's it's really important that they do arrive um once they arrive the Bitcoin lobby is already pretty strong and the Bitcoin lobby will keep strengthening. If the Harvard, um, if the Harvard endowment, if State Street, if some CalPERS has uh, <laughs> like Bitcoin <laughs> on their balance sheet, then, and, and if the government tries to ban them, then they'll be like, come on guys, like, what are you doing? Like, this is our, this is our money, you know? <laughs> I love that you brought that up. My dad has actually been trying to convince me to convince the Yale endowment fund to, uh, to invest in Bitcoin. Because they put out like a, a yearly pay, a yearly report or whatever, 
and they have a section on alternative investments. He's like, dude, you should reach out to these guys, get them invested in Bitcoin. But yeah, like you said, like as soon as that happens, it's like I've been talking there's no to turning some, back. Yeah, I've been talking to some people about sort of the endowments, and because they are one of the five or six sort of categories of large institutional investors that are really important, um, they're relatively they're relatively conservative and they're, they they move slowly, even if there are a handful of PMs at these major uh, university endowments that are already seeing the light. Shout out um, to Paul. Ha, yes. <laughs> um, then even so, they need to convince their CIO. And even if the CIO is convinced, the CIO needs to go to the yeah, board. They need to go to the board, which is full of 85-year-olds who like don't really have such a good grasp or understanding of these digital tokens. I mean, um, I'm 23 years old. The people of my generation, and especially even more so people younger than me, like those that are 16, 17 years old, who grew up essentially playing uh, Minecraft or World of Warcraft or whatever, to them, the idea of digital gold or digital tokens or digital money is absolutely normal and it's absolutely fine. And like, it's, it's the future. I mean, it's an inescapable future. The question is not if, it's when. we're beyond that point now. The question is when. So could be could be five years, could be 25 years, but it's coming. It's coming and um, I believe it will make uh, the world a better place. It will make capital accumulation better, it will make markets more efficient, it will make price discovery more efficient, it will make transactions borderless and frictionless and faster and just smoother and the financial systems will be more liquid and programmable and there's probably dozens and dozens more benefits that I'm sure you agree with. Definitely. Uh, let's touch on capital accumulation though. That's like one thing I was talking about with SAFE this morning is like the average American cannot afford a $400 emergency expense. Like there is no capital accumulation going on in the households these days. Like this, I think, will force people to delay satisfaction and start saving for the future. Like it already has done so to me. Like I, I'm wearing the only pair of pants I own right now. So, yeah, and looking at some of the graphs in America in particular, the savings rate has gone from like 16% in the 80s to 3% right now. At the same time, the spending rate has been increasing. So these lines have been diverging. Um, spending going up. And we're debt. talking about a country with arguably like the best form of fiat right now, um, hmm. which is being printed at a rate of 6.1% per year. It's not arguable. It's definitely the best. It's the right. reserve currency of the world. Right. Yeah. And, and yet the dollar is getting printed at the rate of around 6.1%, 6.2% per year. Um, I do believe that uh, Saifedean has what many people consider controversial issues with regard to how the currency system and the money system actually has tremendous like rippling effects throughout the entire society and civilization at large. And you know what, I, the more I study the space and the more I look into um, general monetary economics, I, I think that there is something to what he's saying. Because a form of money that is inflating at a slower rate, or not at all, um, will incentivize you to think about what am I going to be doing eight years from now? Not what I'm going to... Be, not how I quickly go and buy a fridge today, how I can quickly go and buy some sneakers tomorrow. Instead, you're seeing, oh, let me start a long-term project. Let me dedicate myself to a longer craft, to some kind of an artisanal, some kind of, some kind of a meaningful activity. Um, instead of just 
spending it on like useless bullshit essentially that's one thing i've been preaching is like we need to make like the iroquois nation and think about seven generations ahead of us and start planning for that and that's how you really get healthy society because and that's what safe and i touched on this morning is that we are inarguably an unhealthy society right now heart heart diseases at all-time highs depression suicide opioid addiction at all-time highs something is wrong like in and, and I, like you, am becoming more and more convinced it has something to do with, with the growth of fiat currencies and just a proliferation of printing money at will to, to sustain an economy built on debt. I mean, I'm going to link two points here. One of the other things that are important for a gold standard and what essentially drives a lot of these like shitcoiners nuts is how slow Bitcoin is to change. And I believe you like to say a lot that Bitcoin will change us more than we try to change it. Yes. Um, and um, I was actually having lunch with Saifuddin yesterday and discussing this point. And it, I think it's a very remarkable point. I mean, money is a half of every transaction. And it's such an important thing. It's something everybody wants. So to say that fiat is the zenith of the ultimate form of money ever invented is just ridiculous. We can engineer a better form of money, uh, a form of money that's better in a multitude, multitude ways. Um, I believe that a currency that is at least slightly more disinflationary will change people's personalities and as such will probably change culture itself. Because I don't know about you, uh, I'm sure you've experienced the same um, changes as well. Uh, I can only speak for myself but also with a bunch of other uh, sort of Bitcoin supporters that I've talked to over the years is that Bitcoin changes your personality slowly but surely. It makes you save more. It makes you a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more passionate, a little bit more focused, a little bit more like you, you're definitely thinking for the long term and you're thinking these are scarce units. Um, these are scarce gold bricks, as I like to call them in digital form. Um, scarce gold bits precisely um, and I think <laughs> that they 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 improve they improve people's personalities more towards sort of stoic ideals and I think that is very very good because um, instead of like I mean as people like to say it reduces our time preference so we can dedicate ourselves to longer term projects and this is better because one undertaking that you will dedicate 10 years for will almost surely produce better results both for yourself and for the world than a hundred little things that you never finish or a hundred little things that aren't really important. Yeah. And we were talking about this on the elevator ride up, like how modern art has, has even been bastardized by this fiat system. And, and you know, we, we don't make buildings. We don't make statues. We don't make... Glorious paintings like uh, like Michelangelo used to. We don't do that anymore. There's, There's very few people that do if they're if they're out there, and I haven't met them or seen them or seen their art in in person. A, a lot of sort of um, like Keynesian economists, monetarist economists, like the central bank advisors, etc. Uh, a lot of academics in the sort of the economics and the social science sphere at large they believe that they can design a system from top down that is superior to anything that the market can arrive to itself 
through an organic, emergent, and bottom-up approach. And I believe the latter is superior. Um, money, historically, has been a creature of the market, not a creature of the state. If anything, that is the perversion. Because um, for thousands of years, we use silver, gold, and, uh, and other forms of money that people eventually arrive to by natural means. Um, money being decreed from above um, is like the very fact that it needs to be supported by state decrees and legal tenders and um, like debt extinguishing laws and all these things just is, is obviously like a, an artificial form of support that makes certain institutions and certain governments much stronger than they otherwise would have been. I wouldn't say stronger. I would just say that like they just ha- hold so much more leverage, which I mean, much more powerful. Exactly. There's. I think there's a difference between strength and power. Right. Right. Am I am I wrong in saying that? Definitely. By strength, I mean there's a lot more power that uh, that are they can wielded by their yes. hands. Yeah. It's uh, it's not equivalent to respect. It's uh, equivalent more to like P- putting up with something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And what you're getting in there, like talking about like top down approach to monetary policy, what we're seeing now in crypto and shit coins in particular is people trying to. Uh, form fit top-down governance structures on how these these blockchains evolve what are your thoughts on governance and blockchains that's another thing we have to debunk i think it's an interesting experiment on one hand we have this p2p anarchic network governance that sort of the bitcoin full nodes have uh and it's it's very distributed it's very slow almost to the point of dysfunctional uh, but it's very important to know that it's very apolitical. And I believe that a, the future neo-money winner has to be as apolitical as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, other central banks, other foreign billionaires, other people would only be interested in adopting something that is entirely apolitical. Um, that is not controlled by a handful of people. That's not um, just being decided by like behind closed doors or anything like that. That's not a plutarchy or or an oligarchy, so to speak. But um, I think Decred is an interesting experiment and it's interesting to see how it will play out. I'm kind of skeptical on the governance issue. A lot of people have been putting out this quote unquote governance hypothesis lately that, oh, if we have governance, we can have any feature. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I mean, I guess their value proposition is and I, I would like to discuss sort of the store of value market in, after this, but their, their, their value proposition is that if they have on-chain governance, then they can be a lot more flexible, faster, and nimbler than Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's five times faster than Bitcoin in making decisions or evolving, then it will essentially beat Bitcoin due to its speed or whatever. But are crowds always right? I don't think so. I don't think so, um, and not especially not when it comes to these uh, very complicated, these very complex, both monetary and software systems at the same time, um, that need the precision and understanding of a nuclear physicist. Right. Uh, I mean, I'm not advocating for a pure dark technocracy or anything, but uh, I believe that certain people understand the trade off space and the most favorable paths for evolution much better than the crowd. I would tend to agree. And I, I wouldn't even like, I wouldn't even um, fall back on like 
conceding decision making to the technical expert experts. I would just say people can get lost in narratives and make make terrible decisions in haste uh, that can that can trip you up in the long run. So I think this has to be emergent, like we were talking about earlier. The intolerant minority should run this because a conservatism and skepticism over everything is the wisest uh, investment decision in this space in the long term, I would argue. Yeah, and the the decreds, um, some of the members of the decred founding team, their counter argument is that unlike a corrupt government or unlike a corrupt democratic system, uh, here the incentives of like large stakeholders, aka the decision makers, and sort of the small stakeholders, so the rich and the poor, they are aligned because they want the same thing, higher coin price. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the incentives are aligned. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's an interesting experiment that we will witness. Um, I obviously think Bitcoin is much more likely to succeed than Decred is, but um, they had some sick, we'll sick, we'll sick starter jackets at con- Consensus. They look swagged out, you know. They look swagged out, and uh, Decred is is one of my top five favorite projects in the space. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to say that other than the criteria that we've already discussed, I think the number one criteria of any of these systems, of any of these currencies, of any of these blockchains, is the quality of the team. Because none of us, not even the smartest person in the space, and definitely, and definitely not me, know what these, as I like to say, hybrid money software forms will look like 10, 15 years in the future. So the talent of the team, the passion of the team, the ideology of the team, the idealism of the team, and obviously the skills of the team, these are the most important factors because um, there's a lot of evolution that we are yet to see, and there's a lot of uh, agility that is still required. There's a lot of problems and attacks that we'll need to fight off. Um, I believe that all of these cryptocurrencies in the next decade will see attacks that are much more serious than the Bcash drama or the Segwit2x drama that we've seen. It will make the Bcash or the Segwit2x drama pale in comparison to what's coming. So I think the quality of the team is very important. Um, and we need to look at people who were involved in distributed systems, in crypto anarchy, in cryptography, in, um, in trying to reinvent money. Some of these people have been trying to do it since the 90s, mm-hmm. uh, or at least contributing to bits and pieces of the infrastructure, because this, has, this is not a 10-year thing that we've had so far. This has been a 40-year adventure, 40-year yeah. affair. Um, only sort of the advent of sort of this d- distributed systems has this finally been possible because there is no snake, there's no head of a snake that's possible to cut off so easily. Exactly. And that's like, you were saying like, we don't, we can't even comprehend the attacks that are coming. Like the market right now can't even comprehend the attacks that are happening. Verge got 51% attacked and the price went up by 20%. Like we don't even know, like the market doesn't even know what's secure and what's not right now. These are the most inefficient markets that I've ever seen in my life. Like, right. um, the, I believe Verge, Verge got 51% attacked and then it like pumped by 15% upwards. Yes. I mean, it just makes no sense. It's, it's almost like people don't care anymore. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Or it, I think a lot of these shit coins have a lot of passive investors who are just like, whose like money is parked in these coins as part of their 80 coin portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, they're just like either can't keep up or maybe they just don't care. I mean, I, I don't know. Um, so many people could have like a thousand dollars each in in these coins multiplied by like fifty thousand people, and then and then it because 
the market caps are so inflated as well, especially of the altcoins of the shitcoins. Just because it says that, oh, it's a $300 million network, doesn't mean that there's $300 of real wealth parked there, or maybe like $40 million or something, maybe less. Yeah, um, and even that, like, it's... Like, I, I've said this in the past, like, it's all fun and games now. Like, people are just trying to pump and dump shit coins, make profit off, off trading this stuff. Like, we're really going to see Bitcoin hit the scene in earnest when shit hits the fan on the geopolitical landscape. Like, and it's like, all right, we don't even have time to fuck around with these shit coins and speculate. Like, we really need a flight to safety. And right now, it's, it, it's either gold or Bitcoin. And Bitcoin's more accessible, easier to transport, and that's going to be the better value proposition in the future when geopolitical situation hits ahead well yeah uh, there's two things that i'll say here uh, if bitcoin unfortunately hasn't seen like a hardcore deflationary session hit during its lifetime mm -hmm. and we've, we're in the middle of like a 10-year almost a 10-year uh, bull, bull run the uh, equity bull run yeah. yeah um there's definitely at least something some kind of a crisis happening soon and i think that oh, the tender is dry <laughs> it's getting hot out <laughs> Um, so it will be very interesting how Bitcoin fares in that situation. I think, unfortunately, in the eyes of most serious asset managers, this still remains a speculative asset at one point. Because when we talk about sound money, when we talk about hard money, we're not talking about Bitcoin right now, but we're talking about the intrinsic qualities of the potential that it has to become in the future. Mm -hmm. Now, for most of these asset managers, and most of these asset managers aren't libertarian crypto austrian cypherpunks they, they don't care about these things they, and understandably they don't care about these ideals yeah. their life is fine they're already making tens of millions of dollars they like the status quo they want a, some uncorrelated return or maybe a success story that will pan out in the future as a diversif diversification some, something or a good risk return profile something like that but um right now bitcoin all cryptocurrencies uh, Bitcoin perhaps less so than everything else. E everything else is very speculative. Um, Bitcoin slightly less so because it has a much greater network effect, lindy effect, etc. But um, I think that if we had a sharp deflationary session, Bitcoin would be sold off as of today. Now, if we have a, if we have a, a different currency kind of crisis, crisis, if we have a currency crisis, if we have major countries or a handful of major currencies, uh, countries uh, like credit default, or some kind of a treasury default or unable to pay their debt, something like that, then that would be very, very positive. That's that's what I was alluding to. Like, yeah. So if, if we have like an equities correction, people are going to have to sell their Bitcoin to pay if there's a recession or something like that, and the US dollar remains as the reserve currency of the world. Like, yes, people are going to sell their crypto for fiat to live. Um, and that could be bad for the price of Bitcoin. But again, in the long run, like it comes back to currencies. Like if there's a currency crisis, if a currency meltdown, um, I'm not going to try to predict it. People have been trying to predict it for decades. Nobody knows when it will come, but I do believe wholeheartedly that it's unsustainable in the long run. The the policies that these central banks are are following. I mean, I have to be honest. Dollar is a very strong currency. Yeah, with very powerful I network not, effects. I'm not going to argue that. And the American central banking is much more skilled than most other countries than than second or third world countries japan did what the what the fed's been doing for the last 10 years they started doing that in the 90s 
Yes, but the Japan has different demographic profile. That's and true. A completely different That's economy. True. That's true. Um, what but I the policy say, is very similar. The point I'm trying to make is that Bitcoin and all other cryptocurrencies, to be honest, their quote-unquote enemy or their target market for the next 10 to 15 years isn't the dollar. It's the tail end of weak fiat currencies around the world. Mm-hmm. Mismanaged fiat currencies, small fiat currencies, corrupt fiat currencies um, that are managed by central bankers that are unskilled, um, that are straight up stealing or straight up essentially uh, stealing from their citizenry by inflating the currency whenever they have any kind of problem as an easy exit out, mm-hmm. um, and monetary metals to an extent. Uh, those are the things that Bitcoin is attacking in my view. Uh, and in, it's not a serious conversation to be having right now at, for it to be displacing the dollar or the euro entirely. But we still have um, tens of trillions of dollars of other things that we could subsume before, it, before we are faced with much more serious currencies. Yeah, the upward, like, and that's why <clears throat> people are investing in Bitcoin now is because like the upward potential of the price movement, if that situation unfolds is astronomical. Um, Precisely. I mean, Bitcoin still has 100x, 200x to go. Uh, or, or more, according to some <laughs> Bitcoin maximalists. <laughs> but Pierre, yeah. Pierre's saying 10 million a coin eventually. Well, 10 million a coin makes sense if, like, dollar hyperinflates. I mean, yeah. the number doesn't even matter at that point. Yeah, if you want to if you want to see what, like, uh, Bitcoin price looks like in a hyperinflationary economy, you go to local Bitcoins or Coindance coin.dance and look up the the venezuelan the the volume chart in venezuelan boulevards for bitcoin on local bitcoins and that like it barely barely increased any bitcoin buying but it's hyperbolic in terms of bolivars yeah definitely yeah. definitely um i also will say that i mean if we if bitcoin goes to 1 million in like today's terms that's like a 21 trillion dollar currency right which which is a lot yeah. which is a lot um but it's the size of the u.s economy or yeah and uh, i believe like the m4 of the u.s dollar is like 30 trillion or so 32 33 yeah. trillion or something yeah. um so i mean what's, what's m4 cash and circulation yeah uh, so like so this is like very loose so like i don't remember it precisely but yeah. um M4 is like everything. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. circulation. M- right. M0 is like cash or whatever, or like <laughs> yeah. the circulating one. M1 is like you add some like some bank deposits. M3 is like you add some like the shadow banking or whatever. And like M4 is like everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's M5 as well, but like I don't even know what that is. It's uh, some derivative stuff. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's like what Safe and I were also talking about this this morning too is like the CPI and how it's been bastardized. Like people, these central bank figures will, will just add variables that that make you think like oh everything's okay everything's okay but really they're just changing the underlying equation to to hide inefficiencies well the federal reserve hasn't even been reporting on some of these uh figures for like like eight or nine years now um the the m2 and m3 or m is it m3 has like that hasn't even been public information and to be honest with you this just doesn't apply to america this applies to every country i don't believe a single data point that they're putting out no I don't believe a single one. <laughs> I only believe in like the markets over the long term and human action and human desire. Um, and whatever, whatever they end up choosing and whatever they end up pricing. But um, a lot of this data is distorted. 
a lot of the markets a lot of the markets are no longer um, i mean theoretically markets are supposed to be efficient pricing mechanisms or price discovery places but all this like extreme central bank activity and their uh, run towards creating a wealth effect around the world their indiscriminate buying of so many different assets has essentially stopped markets from being like efficient price mechanisms and now they're just inflated assets right like and there's good evidence out there that like the bank of japan in particular is printing money and putting it right into japanese etfs and their stock markets like yeah i believe the bank of japan has already owns like 70 percent of the etf market in japan like yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're printing money and they're essentially like nationalizing the economy like slowly turning into the nationalized right? economy yeah but if you're a fucking trader like that's an easy trade oh the Bank of Japan is going to print money and push it into their ETF market. Like, let me buy some Japanese ETFs. Well, that's why fixed supply money is so interesting because any kind of price that we would arrive to by using Bitcoin would be pure. Right? Exactly. Do people want that though? Are we ready for a world? Yeah. Like a lot of people, I, I'm realizing more and more that most people, they don't care about some money. They don't give a shit. They don't care about decentralization. They don't care about distributed systems. They don't care about cyberpunk ideals. They don't care about this and that and all this idealistic stuff. So let's be honest. What really matters and how can we, what can we do to make this market go 10x, make this market go 100x, make Bitcoin become a money of the future, a money of the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you like it or not, the most powerful thing you can do is to convince wealthy and large asset managers and billionaires and high net worth individuals to put even 1%, to put even half a percent of their portfolios into these crypto assets. I was that junior analyst in 2013 screaming at the fund I worked for, we should be investing in Bitcoin. Fiat currencies are going to die. Like we should be getting in Bitcoin. It's happening. It wasn't ready back then. It wasn't ready five, six years ago. But I think uh, I think some managers in particular are willing to take it's in their risk appetite, and they're going for it. But I got left out of a, a I didn't get I mean I didn't get fired or anything. I quit, but people looked at me like with cock eyes, like what the hell are you fucking talking about? I mean a lot of a lot of older people think that like this is still some some weird tokens that people buy weed on the internet with, like. <laughs> but it's it it's not that I don't spend my Bitcoin. Exactly, and. Um, I think, honestly, I think like a lot of these asset managers are very smart people, and like they they can understand the systems. They I mean, are on the side of caution. Is, they're very conservative. Uh, they're very conservative. Of course, they want a little bit more regulatory clarity. They want more custodial solutions. They want more time for research. But once you see a famous billionaire or a handful of famous billionaire announce that they put one percent of the portfolio in, or like a handful of university endowments or a handful of servant wealth funds. Maybe even a handful of central banks, <laughs> but those will come later. But once you, yeah, once some asset managers will go on record saying that they are bullish on this, it's like they say, it's slowly and then suddenly, and then it will be a tipping point, and then it'll just go parabolic. Yeah, and you know what I think is holding it up right now is just like the due diligence and compliance that, like, ha- being on uh, a portfolio management team and had like we were a fund of funds, we were a forty act fund of funds, so we had to do it shit ton of compliance and due diligence trips like the amount of red tape that these funds need to get through before they can invest in these types of assets like people don't understand and that's what like worries me about some of the crypto hedge funds out there i'm like do you have your like compliance and due diligence like lined up on the back end because this is like very very important and you cannot fuck up 
the due diligence and compliant aspect in particular, and that's why I think institutional money has been hesitant to enter the space up to this point. Honestly, I think like the value proposition of um, a crypto hedge fund, and I'm and, and yeah, the, the value proposition of a crypto hedge fund is. I increasingly don't even see it anymore because like at the end of, unless you are an active trader, unless you are a talented yes. like, algorithmic trader or, or a talented active manager, or a talented volatility trader or whatever, um, at the end of the day, like in the next two or three years, some of, especially if you're just a buy and hold crypto fund manager, you're just going to be holding the same five, six coins. And so like, why would you invest in that? You, if you're an asset manager, you can go and buy the same five coins. Um, and the stress of the stress of like all the compliance and shit that comes on the back end and having to hold other people's money, just like exactly. I mean, there some of them are some of them are really really good. Some of them are run by very very smart people. Yes, but we're talking about like the top tenth percent or tenth of a percent or top three, top four funds. Honestly, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Uh, some of them are really good, and some of them have extremely smart people working on uh, there. Um, extremely smart, savvy researchers, but. A lot of the crypto hedge funds, most of the crypto hedge funds are just glorified custodians and you're paying them 2 and 20 per year to... 3 and 30 in some... To do it, yeah, 3 and 30. Instances. Yeah, it's like, um, I, I, somebody was joking. Uh, it's so like, for, you, for you freaks out there that yeah. don't know what 2 and 20 and 3 and 30 is, so whenever you invest in a hedge fund, you have fees that you have to pay, a 2% management fee, which you have to pay no matter what, and then a 20% profit fee. So if the fund makes profit, they get 20% of the money that they made for you. Actually, uh, irregardless of their hardcore shilling of decred, I really like placeholders model, which is more of like a VC than a hedge fund. Placeholder is Chris Berniski and Chris Joel, Joel Monagra. Yeah. Um, but um, I, I like that they have like 10 year lockups and they can essentially take a lower time preference view on things. They can be, they can like uh, engage more with the entrepreneurs and the founders that they're engaging with. And I believe like, their their fees are lower, uh, and, and their fees uh, some of their fees are fixed when compared to some of these crypto hedge funds, which allows the LPs to compound their wealth faster. And yeah, I think it's a better approach. Yeah. Um, this is a topic I I feel comfortable diving into. You, we're two young young bucks here. Do you ever? I worry. Like, are we are we just naive? Like, are we naive, or is this like real? Like. Uh, I'm 27, you're 23. Like, who are we to to evangelize this technology? Like, are we just dumb, young millennials? No, I think I think it's coming. And I think it's we can only be wrong on timing. Uh, it can take, like, a, a lot longer than we hope it will, but it w will come. Because, um, like, fiat currencies and gold are essentially the best as they can be already. But these forms of money will only keep improving. They'll keep being better, they'll keep being faster, they'll keep being more programmable, they'll keep being more secure, uh, hopefully more private, and um, there'll be a lot more things that you can do with them, there'll be a lot more things that you can do on top of them, and they'll simply, I believe they are a 10x improvement over existing monetary instruments. And this, this, this gap will keep increasing, because existing monetary instruments are have saturated their potential. Yeah. While cryptocurrencies, honestly, this is only the beginning of the journey and they'll keep getting better, they'll keep getting bigger, and this will be, this, this is the new asset class. I, I actually don't like to think of it as a new asset class. I think it's a replacer. For, a replacer? A replacer for many of the monetary instruments. I've been, I've been harping on new asset class for a while. Why do you well, say replacer? So, because, I mean, it's, 
um, it's zero sum. Mm -hmm. Even though at, at this small scale, it doesn't, it doesn't look that way. But um, if these go into trillions, then they can only go into trillions if fiat and monetary instruments go lower. There's only so much like money and monetary instruments and wealth in the world. So for Bitcoin or for any other coin to go into 40 trillion, 50 trillion, that would mean that there's less wealth parked into in fiat currencies and there's less wealth parked in gold, silver and, and all these like short term money market funds, bonds, etc. So it's, it's kind of zero sum. I mean, people like to say, oh, there's going to be an expansionary effect because but like expansionary effects aside, uh, it's zero sum. For Bitcoin to go into 50 trillion, this same 50 trillion needs to come from other monetary instruments. Yeah. And that's been my investment thesis since 2012, is we're going to see a great, I've been calling it a great rotation into right. cryptocurrencies from right. traditional right. financial assets. Yeah, it's essentially going to like suck the value in. Yeah. Hopefully. And, uh, but it's always good to question because like, people think we're crazy, you know? Like people think we're absolutely crazy getting into this stuff, but I do truly believe in it. And I think... A good example is this, like you were talking about, like the financialization of traditional assets has just gotten to such a point where it's just like not viable and on a longer term scale. Like look at Deutsche Bank right now. They have the biggest derivative exposure in the world and they're trending towards zero, their stock prices. And smaller profits than Binance. This is <laughs> right? six month old Binance. Right? <laughs> right? So Deutsche Bank, a 230 year old bank was less profitable than Binance, so a six month old crypto exchange in the first quarter of this year? I think that um, Bitcoin and maybe a handful of other like blockchain-based projects will unbundle a lot of Wall Street eventually. Um, yeah, what do you mean by unbundle? Some of the rent-seeking rent that they are engaging in right now, um, those profit margins will collapse mm -hmm. because like everything will be algorithmic. Everything will be um, based on distributed ledgers and based um, off of some of these smart contracts, I believe. Um, they will be useful in, in some respects. And um, like, I, I, I mean, banks won't disappear because some people will want them for custody. Some people want them for advisory, mergers and acquisitions. Like, I mean, these sort of sell-side um, sell services will remain. But I think it, these these algorithmic software-based systems will increasingly pose as very, very fierce competition. And having a monetary unit underlie these systems will also will be a feedback loop. They'll make the system stronger and the systems will make the monetary unit stronger. Yeah. That's why I like to say that like, in the short to medium term, uh, things like Ethereum and all these smart contracts, I believe they're good for Bitcoin because um, like each of these CryptoKitty or Augur platforms, they'll bring in more new people and hopefully um, the big chunk of this wealth will end with, will end up in Bitcoin, which is a store of value. Yeah, and that's uh, that's one thing I've been hearing more and more lately is that like people will find Ethereum first because it's the easiest to build on and stuff like that. And because all the dabs, gambling, dabs, prediction, dabs, yeah. cards, the rule, decentralized roulette, <laughs> and they figure out how decentralized Google Docs. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll figure out how yeah. like insecure it is and they'll eventually fall like all right i want to work on the most secure dumbed down protocol right and it makes sense like and so let's get into that like that platforms and stuff like that like again i do appreciate them as much as i hate on ethereum and yeah. all these I, I i hate out of love let me let me just make this clear to you freaks out of there i hate out of love because i want the best out of everybody but i do strongly believe that we will have dat platforms in the future they'll just be software 
that you can plug Bitcoin into as fuel and just execute contracts. Precisely. Like, right? It, well, like, exactly. So I, um, I, I don't hate DAP platforms. I think uh, DAPs and smart contracts are very cool, very useful. Um, they will be a thing. They're just not going to be the store value. Right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. There's going to be software that enables people to put Bitcoin in. And yeah. as soon as an event happens, well, this is the thing, especially distribute with, it one way or the other. Especially with their move to proof of stake. So it's a very interesting, like another loop. Um, I guess it could be positive or negative. A proof of stake system, because it's secured by the money itself and not by external hash power, a proof of stake system can only be secure if it's if the underlying token is very valuable. Mm -hmm. But as I believe, the underlying token can only be highly valuable if it becomes seen and used as a store of value. But for something to be a store of value, it needs to be very secure. So like it's kind of like a circular logic. Maybe they can like they essentially bootstrapped off of proof of work, and now they want to attempt to do the switcheroo. Mm -hmm. But we will see if price of Ethereum collapses. It's a very insecure system because it will be very cheap to attack it. Yeah. Um, only if it only if the price keeps climbing will it remain a secure system, and this applies to essentially all proof of stake systems. They need to be very valuable to be secure. Well, let's jump into this. Like the uh, supply of ether is Vitalik very publicly stated, I believe in 2016, that the supply should not go over 100 million, and we found out this week that it's at 120 million already. Um, well, it passed 100 million this morning. Passed 100 million this morning. Yeah. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. And then he came out and said it shouldn't go above 120 million. So this is like, it, it, it's like to let, it's uh, in, what book was it? Is it the Black Swan? I believe it was the Black Swan. The Black Swan where Nassim Taleb says a project, if you set a due date of 50 days and it comes to the 50th day and you don't hit it, your project gets extended to 100 days. And if you get to 100 days and you don't hit it, hit your, your project isn't finished, it's going to take you 1,000 days to get it. And like that's what reminds me of Ethereum moving to proof of stake from proof of work is that they've been saying and saying and saying it's going to happen where it's getting to a point where it may never happen because they can just not they just aren't able to do it. Like, well, how, well, they how can they only, have a move? I, I believe they, they can only compete with Bitcoin if they put a hard cap. But even so, their monetary policy isn't as credible and their blockchain isn't as credible as Bitcoin's. No. And I mean, I can list three dozen things that it's not as good as All right, Bitcoin. We got does. 36 things to list right now. Get into it. Um, well, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, can, I can list some if you want. Go for it. List some. List um, your top three or four. Well, obviously, I think it's a much more secure system. Um, I think the Bitcoin's Lindy effect is very, very powerful. Um, Bitcoin has the first mover advantage. It has the highest market capitalization. It has the highest liquidity. It has the highest credibility of monetary policy, highest scarcity, highest popularity, highest brand recognition, highest censorship resistance, highest distribution of ownership, highest um, robustness of code, I would argue. Um, one of the most, if not the best team in the in the space working on it. Um, highest level of financialization with the futures and the options. I would say the strongest cult, the most intense cult. Hey, we're not a cult. I mean, I say cult in a good thing. Cults are good for cryptocurrencies because they need very intense bootstrapping to compete. Right. Um, and like the highest infrastructure support. Um, yeah, I mean, and I, and I like the conservative and the and, and the prudence of the developers. I, I like to say that the carefulness, the almost the, the OCD like 
the thoughtfulness and thoroughness of the developers is why it's a good store of value. Yeah. Like when the Bitcoin devs were working on it, implementing SegWit, they tested it so thoroughly that they found a flaw in uh, SSL security, like online. Yeah, they they do their work. <laughs> they they do their work so good that they they fix other people's work. Right, <laughs> exactly. And again, for you freaks out there that may love these move fast and break thing blockchains, like I just don't think for money in particular and for exactly. these protocols I mean, in particular, it's not the best mindset to have. We're we're already building some hundred billion dollar networks. We're trying to achieve trillion dollar, ten trillion dollar networks. This isn't like a dating app. This isn't a deliver food delivery app. This is not a social network. You fast move fast and break things doesn't work here. You need uh, you're, it's like you're building a submarine, a nuclear submarine. It's very it's like heart surgery. It's very important exactly. to be very careful. Exactly. And uh, 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 I go back. And once forth. again, it's high time preference. People want people want the chocolate now. They want it fast. And they want it right now with extra sugar. Well. And that's another thing I was talking about with Safe this morning is that people are just born into the system and thrown into it. They're so used to it. They have their tendencies and it's hard to change. You and know, also, people are like, this is the way the world works. I've read research that between 2005 and 2015, our like short-term attention spans have like collapsed since like from 20 seconds to like six seconds or something. Really? Yeah. What was this study like? Or well, so because, it makes of, sense to because, me. Of, because of the fast pace of the internet because of um this like sugarification of junk food because of everything being at the at the like tip of our fingers essentially yeah. I, I like to say this confluence of uberification tinderification pornification sugarification of culture has like essentially made us impatient has essentially made us everybody's like ocd and add right now nobody can concentrate on anything for more than five minutes and hey, we've been in here for yeah. an hour and 10 minutes having a beautiful conversation. I've been enjoying it. Indeed. And no, I agree. Like, yeah. can we change this though? Like, can we revert? Is, is it even a reversion? That's what I would ask. Like, is it a reversion or is it an evolution to... You have to fight the currents. And yeah. The strongest individuals have to fight the currents. I believe, as I've said, a sound form of money, a sound form of financial monetary institutions will improve the situation somewhat. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I am a hyper-individualist. Uh, everybody uh, has to focus on their own goals and has mm -hmm. to, I, I believe, in trying to find win-win situations and do and build things that benefit both yourself and others. Yeah. Um, and like I, that's why I think capitalism works better than these like social assistance because it aligns incentives better. Uh, it rewards you if you provide society with something of value. Yeah. I mean, there's no debate. There's no debate. No, I mean, there's no debate. Yeah. It's not like one's better than the other. Like, it's not like oh, maybe one is better. It is like one is better than the other. Like, and that it's just like, and it's a it's it's basically a simulation of nature, right? Like you're just figuring out things of organically. Course. Right? Of course, I mean, capitalism aligns with. I believe it aligns with evolution much more closely than any of the top-down like God syndrome, God complex these systems. Yeah, like you talk about like fishing farms and tanks and monoculture on small farms, like what happens to them? Like you try to you try to basically uh, confide the production of fish or food to one certain geological area and like try to make it like repeatable and repeatable instead of letting nature take its course and you get fucked up fish, fucked up food. You get arid land. It's uh, 
you just got to let nature take its course. And I think capitalism does that well. And I believe Bitcoin even takes it to a whole nother level. Well, that's what I like to say. Exactly. I like to say that Bitcoin will essentially make socialism impossible or, or very much harder because you cannot, you're not, I'm not fucking, you're not taking my Bitcoin to pay for a socialist government. Exactly. And uh, I mean, for something to, to have like a socialist or God forbid communist system, you, the government needs to have a control of money, control of currency. And like Marx in his manifesto, he wrote that like the number one thing is to take full nationalized central banking and to have a sole monopoly on the money supply. I mean, of course the government's like that and it gives them so much power. Yeah. Um, I believe that the institution of central banking and fiat currency is the strongest institution in the world. I mean, it, it allows so oh. much, so much, so much power. So much power, so much waste. Inefficiency, Inefficiency. bureaucracy. Like the bureaucracy, that's what... See, that's what I think people are getting most pissed off about is a bureaucracy. Like people, again, like going back to this, the short attention span things, like maybe it is, maybe these central planners have dug their own graves because they've built a system where we're so like, we want results fast, fast, fast. And they're so monolithic that they can't move as fast that we're asking that people are now starting to look for alternatives. And maybe the alternative is reversion to, to a sound system where there is no top-down structure to tell you what to do precisely and like they think they can design or they, they think they can design a system where and it, it was going to achieve exactly the result that they want but it's such a chaotic unpredictable multi-variable world and like this is what austrian economists like mises or hayek have always been writing about like in a very loose metaphor if you give a government one billion dollars or you give a thousand talented individuals a million dollars each which one do you think is going to spend it or invest it more productively? Of course, it's going to be 1,000 talented people with a million each because they are essentially, they are decentralized, not in the sense of blockchain decentralized, like they're, they have the information in their local, local community, local structure, yeah. and they can achieve, they can see the inefficiencies and the opportunities and like the local sort of like this, this price inefficiencies much more effectively. And they can create, I believe, invest and create products much better than a government bureaucracy. By the time $1 billion is spent, like probably half of it is just going to be wasted through inefficiencies, bureaucracy, and these government employees, which are clearly not as good as private sector employees. Exactly. And you see this, let's, uh, let's harp on this example with the U.S. education system, like public schooling in America in particular. You did not go to public school here growing up, but to get funding at public schooling, like you have, like there's, there's standardized tests, so they're called standardized testing. And to get funding, your students have to get a certain grade on these tests, like in aggregate. And basically, these teachers, instead of trying to teach their students what they want to learn or what they might need to learn, they're, they're teaching for these fucking standardized tests. And it's fucking making everyone dumber, I would say, in the long run. Like, and just let these local, like maybe, maybe somebody in Iowa or Illinois or Kansas might want to learn more about farming because there's more farming land around. Maybe let those students go learn about more about that. Kids in the cities, maybe they want to learn more about finance, accounting, shit like that. Make them go learn about that or let them go learn about that. But instead, we have this standardized testing world where everybody's teaching for the test. And it's just right. like it's a bureaucrat bureaucratic, top-down system that makes everybody dumber in the long run. Yeah, you're essentially just studying for six years just to beat some number on a piece of paper instead of... Uh 
instead of studying something you either enjoy or something that is actually valuable or something that's actually productive, I'm a strong believer in apprenticeships, actually. I am too. Yeah, and I believe like when you are doing like an internship or a couple of internships or just working somewhere for a year, you'll learn more than like five was, years oh out of school. Oh my God. Yeah. That's why I was so happy to go to school in Chicago because I was able to take night classes and work during this. So I started working full time, I think my junior year in college and I learned more in the workforce than I did at school. But I did have to go to school and get the grades. And shout out to my sister. Love you, Ave. She's a ceramicist. And I'm pretty pretty sure I'm close to convincing her to go get an apprenticeship with a potter to like become really good at her craft. She's already incredible at what she does. But her time is better spent learning from an expert than going to spend like 80 grand for an art school. I'm... I'm pretty sure you're correct yeah no, like I'm, you're making money you're not going into debt I'm honestly I'm, I'm kind of skeptical on higher education and because like unless you're studying to be a doctor or you're studying something highly technical like physics or computer engineering or something like that I don't know man these like a lot of the especially a lot of these people studying these social sciences you can just study it on your own without spending a quarter million dollars we learn by ourselves like mm -hmm. no one cares about you as much as you can care about yourself so at the end of the day it's on you and even the best students their best learning comes from after class on their own just focusing staring into the book staring into the material it's not the granted from above or anything like that no. and um yeah like also like the pricing for some of this education is just absurd i it mean it is asinine like so if you look at this like inflation deflation that's an interesting thing if you look at the markets where the government isn't really involved, like technology, um, as you can see, Do computers are getting cheaper. Uh, Clothing is getting cheaper. Phones are getting cheaper. Clothing is getting cheaper. But healthcare is healthcare is in America is a disaster. <laughs> it's a disaster. Healthcare. We need to implode it and just start from scratch. Uh, healthcare, education, like oh, pharmaceutical, all these like medical things, they're they're a total disaster. And you see like all these things going red, going high, and all these things going slowly, slowly blue. And the slow blue, like slow deflationary effect. Is like at equilibrium outside of government regulations, government intervention, capitalism and technology, let alone both those things two together, they are deflationary phenomena. Yeah. And that's how it's supposed to be. You're supposed to do, be doing things cheaper and faster and better and competition, natural competition that's unhindered through all these licenses, all these taxes, or you have to get a permit this, you have to get 12 permits there, you have to get my signature there. It doesn't make any sense. And the most fucked up part about it is the things that are getting most inflated are the things that people need most, which right. is like food, healthcare, education. Right. Precisely. Housing. Housing, too. Throw housing in there. Right. It's fucked up. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Like, and then, then the Fed tries to piss on your face and tell you it's raining and be like, hey, CPI has been at like 1.7% consistently for the last seven years so why do you think these like one bedroom apartments in san francisco cost two three million dollars <laughs> right it's like san francisco has the potential to be the next tokyo <laughs> if they only just like allow people Build to expand up. and come like real estate firms these builders to compete like it could be the next big thing it could be shang like shanghai but instead like all these like extra licensing all these laws all these people saying oh we don't want this we don't want that that's why it, it just hinders potential how do we unleash this potential, Murad? That's what I want to know. Hyper-Bitcoinization will <laughs> purify us all. <laughs> do you think hyper-Bitcoinization is possible, probable? Uh, it will take longer than what, what hyper-Bitcoinization supporters think, per mm -hmm. perk, <laughs> but uh, something like it will happen. Yeah, how do you see it playing out? Um, as I've said, 
gradually at first and then suddenly. Mm -hmm. And um, so this is the thing, like once Bitcoin goes into this, this $10 trillion territory, it will like its volatility will slowly start to subside. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the problems with Bitcoin right now, just like you said, like I'm not spending my Bitcoin. There are disincentives to spend because there's still 100x plus ahead. But once it's at 10 trillion, the highest it can ever go from here, let's be realistic, is what like 30, 40 trillion or whatever. I mean, at that point, more and more people will start to spend because all you have left is 3x, 4x at most, mm-hmm. which is like okay to lose out on. 100x you don't want to lose out on. Nobody wants to be the pizza guy, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, we need to get to that phase, and that phase does require bootstrapping. That phase does require speculation. Um, new forms of money don't come about so often, and that's why it's a slow road. Millennia, precisely. Millennia. millennia. Uh, you know what they say? It's the greatest wealth transfer in millennia. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which probably is. Again, it's gonna be a great rotation. Like I, that was my first ever investment thesis. It was like, hey, I believe there's gonna be a great rotation from these fiat currencies and traditional finance financial assets to these cryptocurrencies. That's precisely why I say that. It's- Particularly Bitcoin. Like I used to be like a multi-coiner. Like, oh my god, they're all gonna take over the world, but. As time goes on, you're, it's like undeniable. Well, that's why Pierre Rochard started Bitcoin Advisory. And that's why I say that like convincing asset managers and high net worth individuals to invest, to invest some is one of, the, one of the highest leverage things you can do. Yeah. Because let's be honest, like this libertarian Austrian crypto anarchist cyberpunk money is already in the market. Mm-hmm. And it's already saturated. Their attention and their wealth uh, is already saturated in the market. Right now, we need institutions to come for the market to explode. Yeah. There's no other way. And slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. And then suddenly. So th- this is how I like to think about it. Like every instance, in the next 20 years, every instance of a currency crisis, every instance of hyperinflation, even higher than expected inflation, every instance of government acting too authoritarian, every instance of like bank defaults, every instance of bond defaults, uh, wealth appropriation, some billionaires getting thrown in prison, something like all these things will, will create more and more Bitcoin fans, mm-hmm. will create more and more cryptocurrency fans because it allows you to hold wealth in an unseizable manner. So, I mean, I guess this is like one of the main factors, but the more bad things that come from governments around the world and the more bad things that come from Wall Street or financial systems around the world, the more people will believe algorithms instead of people because algorithm is much harder to corrupt uh it's apolitical and it's apolitical it's neutral um it's it doesn't have laziness it doesn't have greed it doesn't have um like all these emotions that humans are prone to and i mean everybody in like if you look at the graph of young people's trust in their government it's been like it's cascading it's literally like a diagonal down (laughs) yeah so and it will keep going down and like I can only speak for myself or maybe my generation, but we already trust algorithms more than people. And that's fine. Yes. And this is another, it's a little bit of a tangent here to this conversation, but this is one thing we touched on the first time we met for drinks a couple months ago. Um, So you came from Soviet Russia, correct? Uh, Yes. I am from Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan. And so the CIO, the chief investment officer of the fund I worked for, was also from Soviet Russia. Like he was on pace to be a Russian cosmonaut. And what really woke my, like woke me up and really made me be like, holy shit, maybe Bitcoin is a thing was one day we were sitting there 
and we were just having a conversation talking investment thesis and we got on a tangent about Orwellian Orwellian uh, hypothetical Orwellian future and I'll never forget it. Dimitri looked me in the eye and he was like, I grew up in Soviet Russia. Like I, I moved to the States in 94 and you'll never believe the sense of freedom I felt when I was walking to the airports. Like I cried the first time I walked to an American airport because I felt so free. There was nobody there checking me or looking at me or surveilling me. And I felt so free. I can't explain the, the feeling of freedom that I felt in that moment. And he looked me dead in the eyes was like, since 2001, since after 9-11, America has slowly and slowly and slowly been reminding me more of what it was like to, to live in Soviet Russia with the TSA and the government cracking down and the Federal Reserve policies. and that Patriot Act, NSA. Patri- yeah. yeah. And that's what woke me up. I was like, holy shit, like, what is happening right now? Like, Are we frogs boiling in water? And we just don't notice it. And that's what drove me even further into Bitcoin was like, all right, just in case we are, like, I need this sovereign currency. And it's crazy because people don't think about it in real time. So, like, I don't know if I'm bringing up anything personal or anything, but, like, what was, like, can you speak to that at all or? Um, To be honest, like, I'm from Azerbaijan and it's, like, pretty free these days. So, like, I can't complain. Yeah. Um, But I do see sort of some of, like, the, the American government has certainly been getting like bigger and more influential in people's lives obviously as we've seen uh like it seems that like when compared to like the mccarthy's days or whatever it's like not as much but i think they're just getting better at like doing it in in the dark you know yeah 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 and it's like so you have jeff bezos in washington state in california about to sell contracts to do facial recognition shit like they're like they're doing in China. Dude, that's dystopian stuff, man. Right? Dude, that's why, like, look, like, I'm a mild Bitcoin maximalist, but I... Come on. Do, Come full on. I do, I do like some of the privacy coins as well. Um, in the age of, like, AI interacting with each other and robots paying each other and, like, all these, like, billions of financial transactions per second around the world, um, you want privacy, man, because otherwise it becomes a dystopian system. Like, I'm not comfortable with Joe Levin, a chain analysis and elliptic, like, tracking my every move, you know? Like, of course, we have have hopes for uh, this situation resolving itself on Bitcoin, and if it does, that would be a very big development. Um, But Zcash, which I think is, is the most promising. Uh, Biggest Zcash bull I've ever met, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, which I believe is, is, is the most promising privacy coin. Mm-hmm. It's only, like, it's year, like, if you go on on-chain FX, if you, it, it's, it's 2050 diluted market cap, it's only 3% of Bitcoins, which I think is undervalued. Should be at least 10, 15%. Yeah. At least. Yeah. Um, and, like, as I've, as like I, as I've mentioned, but I didn't elaborate in the beginning of the show, um, I believe in what I call the fat money thesis. Mm-hmm. And I used to think, and this is like a very big discussion among people in the community right now, is this currency market going to be winner take most or winner take all? So winner take most, let's say there's going to be three or four winners, which go in like a mm-hmm. power law 70, 20, 10 kind of distribution. Yeah. Um, and or is it going to be winner take all with the winner being like 95 mm-hmm. percent and i'm increasingly thinking it's the latter like at the end of the day we'll probably only have one form of money 
a lot of hedge funders, a lot of shit coiners, a lot of multi coiners, poly chainers. <laughs> they don't like this narrative because um, they don't like this narrative because if this narrative is true, there's not enough money to be made. And if, if in six months, all asset managers around the world agree that Bitcoin is sound money and Bitcoin is the winner, then hedge fund makes no sense. And like the reason we have US dollar and euro and JPY and yuan right now is because of borders, is because of the different trade regulations, sanctions, governments, um, things like, like tariffs, uh, once again, taxes, quotas, because of all these artificial things. But in the digital borderless realm, you don't need five currencies. Like you only need one monetary standard. And having one unified monetary standard is better for everyone. It's better for all trading partners around the world. It's better for all price mechanisms around the world. I can travel to Japan, I can travel to Cambodia and buy my fruit for the same exact type of money. And all these like utility tokens are probably the biggest scam in the history of mankind. Let's dive into utility token. 99.9% of them are absolute shit. They will all collapse. They will all bleed to death. I hope that this current bear cycle that we will in will have a flight to quality effect. All these 99.95% of ICOs have been somewhere between a scam, a fundraising exit, vaporware, or good intention, but useless. Yeah. It's been somewhere between here. Um, I've, I, I believe like the work token model, like, like a medallion, like a taxi medallion, uh, Augur, Keep, New Cipher, they have this, which essentially like you, you, it's like a license, like you buy a license and then um, you can perform the work. Like that kind of makes sense, but it, it doesn't matter. I was going to say Augur is maybe like the only one. Yes, where it's like, exactly. Uh, yeah, like a profit sharing scheme. And they right launch now. less than a month from now, July 8th or 9th. We can only hope. Yeah. But let's see what happens with the Ethereum network. <laughs> <laughs> let's hope they don't have another Crypto Kitty moment. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because what matters is the reinvention of money. That's the biggest mark. I like to say, uh, in terms of total addressable market, in terms of money to be made for us as investors, and in terms of potential for socioeconomic change and socioeconomic consequences, all this shit pales in comparison to the reinvention of money. Right. And now we can, and, and we can discuss, of course, whether it's going to be Bitcoin, whether it's going to be Ethereum, whether it's going to be something else that's the winner. But there's, I believe there's going to be one at, like, in the short and medium term, there's going to be a lot of shitcoin, a soup of shitcoinery, as I like to say. There's going to be a lot of quote-unquote experiments. Man, come on. Don't be so judgy. We're all just learning here. We're all just right? experimenting, right? bro. Bro, let the free market decide. <laughs> I get that a lot. Yeah. I get that a lot. Come on. Don't you like free markets? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like... Uh, yeah, but anyways. Um, I like free markets to the extent that people aren't scamming people. Like, but you know what? I actually, like, I used to think that, but now I think let them be scammed. Let no, them learn. I, I'm completely on your Let them burn. Let, let, let them get burned, and maybe in the next side, maybe their children won't get burned because they will get told. Or maybe the next, their younger brother won't get burned because it will only invest in sound cryptocurrencies with sound teams who are not scammers. Yeah. <sighs> I, at the end of the day, I think, like, people will come to a list of, like, five and six cryptocurrencies. Um, that are essentially competing for to be the, the big store of value winner, and that's it. Yeah, I would I would concur. I agree. Like and like, but there's so much noise out there. Like people love the VC app culture of hey, spray and pray. Like we're just gonna put our money behind a, a bunch well, of different like, teams. It's, it's like CNBC Africa or CNBC Crypto Trader. <laughs> it's like he says, in order to be sufficiently, the, the correlations are zero point eight two. 
He says, in order to be sufficiently diversified in crypto markets, you need to have between 70 and 80 coins. Go fuck yourself. And he said, he said, um, yeah, most of these will fail, but some of these altcoins will do 10,000 X. We're, we're at a dawn of a new era. This is going to be bigger than the internet and we're going to have a blockchain for every website. We're going to have a blockchain for every database. Dude, the herd is coming. The virus is spreading. The gangrene is spreading. <laughs> oh my God. It's so asinine. Like to think of like the logistical infrastructure you would need for that. It's just like, there's scammers everywhere, freaks. Be careful. They're coming for your Bitcoin. There's no panacea for for tech problems out there like this is this is a monetary phenomena again it only happens once every few millennia and there's a lot of confusion out there like a lot of people trying to apply bad heuristics to or good heuristics in some areas but bad heuristics in this arena uh to bitcoin and it's just completely different it's confusing the fuck out of people people are confused they don't know what to what to think and i would I would encourage everybody, like I did this morning with Saifedean, please read up on monetary history. Like, you need to know your history. You need to know your history. Read up on monetary history. Well, you have to. You don't have a choice. Because uh, just like Saifedean says, hard money isn't a choice. Like, you have to either choose the best money of the future correctly, or you're going to lose money. Right? It's, It's binary. It's binary. And to be honest with you, like... Um, I think Bitcoin and hyper-Bitcoinization or just like the success of any cryptocurrency will create massive inequality. That's just, that's yeah. just, that's just sad and true. Sad but true. But it, it's just, I'm not trying to be prescriptive. I'm just trying to be predictive and descriptive. I agree. But I would say that inequality would be better than the inequality that we have now because the investments that would be made would be in in longer term like you're not gonna have conspicuous consumption well exactly and plan obsolescence. bitcoin like bitcoin that. was never about re- destroying inequality bitcoin was about creating money that other people can't inflate yes and so even if you even if you don't have any bitcoin and if you, if you get paid in a little bit of bitcoin at least you can know that nobody can decay your wealth exactly and that's what it's all about exactly. if, if anything uh, your wealth will actually slightly grow with the speed of the economy exactly and it all and at the end of the day it all comes down to how personally motivated you are to put yourself in a better place. And if you're willing to have a long time preference and save, save the little bit of Bitcoin that you make in the future, it will appreciate over time. As, as more and more fiat currencies disappoint their holders, more and more people will find themselves buying Bitcoin. Yeah, it's a, a natural progression, I would, I would argue. Um, we're an hour and, a half, hour and a half in. Anything else you want to touch on? Um, I mean, yeah, this is, this is pretty much it. I think that the space is moving, like, look, I think that there's going to be a lot of interesting use cases and there's going to be a lot of really cool projects, really cool software coming out, new consensus mechanisms, new technologies, whatever. But at the end of the day, I think what, there will be like a convergence, there will be a flight to quality. These thousand shit coins that we have right now, they will die. Most of them will die. Um, imagine like walking around New York and having to pay different currency in each different store. Right? <laughs> That's a nightmare. <laughs> like, right? Like, yeah. I got my Shake, Shake Shack bucks. 
I want to go to chop though. I gotta, I gotta convert them to chop dollars. Like, it, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Um, so uh, I, but, I, hey, they're all gonna be converted in the back end though. You're not even gonna see it. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. It. Like they say, dude, it's all gonna be. It's all like um, there's going to be token abstraction. It's all going to be to- so okay. Like if there's going to be token abstraction, why not just use Bitcoin? Well, if there's going to be token abstraction, that means the price of your shitcoins will go down even faster. <laughs> um, so I think that I, so I think in the, I actually think in the short to medium term, all these shitcoins will be most of these shitcoins will be replaced by stablecoins. And if hyper Bitcoinization ever happens, they will be using Bitcoin. Yeah. Let's talk about stablecoins. That'll be our last topic. So a lot of people don't believe in them. I think they. I think I'm skeptical. I think they will work. I know you do. Um, I disclosure. I'm an investor in a in a couple of stablecoin projects, um, but this is my issue. Um, now I'm not a B casher, obviously, but it, it says that peer to peer cash on the mm-hmm. on the white paper, mm-hmm. and I believe that um, Bitcoin, as of right now, it's better to view it as digital gold, metaphorically speaking. Yes. And it's better for it to saturate that store of value, essentially digital commodity space first before we use it as digital, uh, like as a day-to-day currency. But uh, it will be another seven to 15 years before Bitcoin is sta- big, liquid, and stable enough to be used as day-to-day currency. Yeah. And uh, I think until then, um, stable coins are necessary because they're like a synthetic dollar or some of them even want to peg to the CPI or whatever, but they're like a synthetic They want to peg dollar. to the CPI? Yeah. Please don't let them do that. Well, they would have their own CPI okay. that is not right. like government mandated. But will the CPI be, be static for at least a decade? Um, it's like they almost every stablecoin project is starting off the of variables the within the CPI. Would that be static for a decade, like weighted statically or? I can't speak on their behalf because all these details are TBD. Yeah. For the next five to seven years, all the stablecoins want to peg to the dollar because that's just easier. Um, you have to think of stablecoins as synthetic dollars that can get in and out of countries borderlessly. I, so capital controls collapse. I understand. And you, you, you will need them for dApps and you will need them for all these things. I agree. But like, what does an investment get you? Like, they're stable. Like They're not supposed to increase or decrease in value. That's true. Uh, some of the stablecoin projects have like it's an it's an equity investment, and they like they pay you whenever they expand the supply or whatever something like that. Okay. You think you have to think of them as private central banks. Okay. Um, in a way, like all cryptocurrencies are private central banks. Mm-hmm. It's just that Bitcoin's monetary policy is like ruthless. This is it's like it doesn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it will take it, it. It needs time. The, the the thing is that Bitcoin is the soundest money ever invented. And I believe it's the currency that's most likely to succeed. And it's also my biggest holding. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it will take time for yeah. it to uh, be stable enough to be used as day-to-day currency. And if for any reason hyper-Bitcoinization doesn't occur, stablecoins could be useful. Yeah. Um, also, um, the... Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Well, I'll yeah. come in and do a rebuttal to stable coins, yeah. which is like nothing stable. Stable coins are only stable until they're not. And it's a it's a hot potato musical chairs type game. You you just don't want to be left holding the bag when shit hits the fan because stable coins are susceptible to black swan events. And as the definition of black swan event dictates, you can't predict them. It's, it's hard to say for sure. Um, there's definitely a lot of risks involved and they're definitely going to be fragile, especially early on. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the design of the stablecoin and it depends on the kind of 
um, reserve or algorithmic or any kind of other kind of backing that is backing it. Uh, as long as the reserve is bigger than the stablecoins outstanding, it will be fine. Yeah. And um, if a stablecoin grows to like half a trillion or a trillion dollars, of course, this is like, it's going to take years. But if that ever happens, then it will be stable by the property of people using it, just like a lot of fiat currencies are stable. Yeah. So like the bigger it goes, the more robust it becomes, mm -hmm. of course. I do agree with you, however, that in the early years, it, they are very fragile animals. Yeah. Um, so what I wanted to say is I remembered is um, all of these currencies and like especially like fixed supply, these ones that have to get bootstrapped from like store value and then to medium exchange or whatever, um, Yes, they have the properties of the soundest money ever invented, the hardest currency ever invented, but uh, money at the end of the day is a social contract of sorts, and it's an abstraction. It's almost like a contractual agreement, and you will accept Bitcoin if I will accept Bitcoin, and I will accept Bitcoin if you will accept Bitcoin, and we'll both accept it if we see that it's trading at uh, like $200,000 or whatever, <laughs> right? Um, but um, these humans move a lot slower than software, and culture, as you can see, uh, changes a lot slower uh, than technology and it will take time the best even the best case scenario and hyper digitalization does occur or whatever is going to take time for people to come around for people to see the value in the uninflatability for people to learn about this technology like i advise all my friends like study this for six months before even buying one like right uh because like this is like they're very new and it's like a different paradigm almost um, so almost it is a different it's a different paradigm yeah, yeah. Um, you almost need to like like fully immerse yourself before kind of understanding everything and like I've been I've been looking at this for like two or three years and still like I don't think I've scratched even 5% of the surface oh the more you know the less you know precisely it's insane like I thought remember like 2014 2015 I thought I was fucking my shit didn't stink I knew what was gonna happen I think you just like like I remember, like before Bcash forked off, or excuse me, BCH forked off. <laughs> like people were like, hard forking was taboo. It's like if you if you hard fork, the network's gonna go to shit. Like nothing, like it's completely gonna collapse. Like you can never hard fork. And now we've got, we've got an index of hard forks that that numbers in the eighties, I believe, and we survived. And I learned that I did not know. What I thought I knew. Well, if I don't know. So I lived in China during the previous bubble, 2013, 2014. And that's like what was my first kind of like foray into the Bitcoins and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, I don't know if you remember, like before the whole ICR craze, we had like the pre-mine craze. Oh, yeah. Pre-mine, yeah. yeah. And um, like pre-mine used to be taboo. Like it right? used to be if you pre-mine, then like that's a shit coin. But now <laughs> pre-mine is like a weekly occurrence. <laughs> that is what, that is how you raise money now. It's fucking yeah. pre-mining your shitty token. That's what hedge funds invest in too, the pre-mines. <laughs> well, yeah, because um, they get a discount and they could dump it at a 20% growth or at a 20% markup immediately as it hits an exchange. Bro, master nodes, tokenomics, <laughs> crypto economics, <laughs> your mechanism design. Bro, uh, Dude, we need multiple algorithms on this, uh, on this proof of work chain, right? <laughs> yeah. And that's like Verge dead. But like, like people are like freaking out about Mer Verge now. Remember Myriad Coin? Did did you ever like? Mm -mm. So Myriad Coin, that was their whole fucking uh, marketing piece. Was like, hey, we had multiple. Is it like kind of like Digibyte with like five algorithms? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like Digibyte Verge. Yeah. And they had similar things out. Like fifty one percent. I honestly like. I can't believe so many of these things are so overvalued. 
They're ridiculously all over. That's what I said. They should all be zero. Yeah, they should be. Yeah. the market is the so market's still this learning. Is, this, is, still this is this is what I like to say, and I think people are coming around to this. Hopefully, more and more. There are, in terms of cryptocurrencies or aspiring cryptocurrencies, there is like essentially fewer than six or seven non-scams. I would wholeheartedly agree. I would even say less. And yeah, there's probably less. You can hear me slurring my words now. I think <laughs> we finished that bottle of bourbon. Fit the bourbon, not nice. a whole bottle, but. Um, we're almost, we're getting up to two hours here. We're at an hour, 45 minutes. Do you have a parting note for the freaks out there? Like, what would you say as somebody who's written two prolific papers this year? Not papers, but publications. I truly love them. You and Adam did an incredible job on them. Thank you. Thank you. No, thank you for writing them because that's something that's been in my mind for a while. Like, somebody just needs to understand, like, the different factions and then the history of it. Like, the past and present was just... And equal, uh, equally as prolific as the four faces. Well, you know, there's nothing better people, than... Again, people need to know your history. There's nothing better than starting my mornings with uh, my daily dose of... <laughs> daily bent? <laughs> Marty's bent. Marty's bent, yes. Uh, um, that, is, that pales in comparison to the quality of your... So, I've, I've, been, I've been listening to all crypto podcasts for, like, almost two years now. And um, I'm telling you without... Uh, exaggeration that Tales from the Crypt is slowly but surely going up the hierarchy of the best podcasts. I think it is top five, maybe top three now, for sure. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't I don't think so. We're getting there. Slowly but surely. Guests like you help us get to the top, you know? I mean, as I said, I'm nothing compared to the Titans and <laughs> compared to the true developers and uh True, true heroes of the space. Maybe that's but. the parting note we can end on. Is bit devs last night? Like, what did you think of that? As a as a, as somebody who's been in the space for a while, like, what did you think of that structure of the meetup? Long term bullish on Bitcoin made me more bullish than ever. Um, <clears throat> was a great was a great place. Was great meeting all the developers that you follow online in real life. Um, <clears throat> they're extremely thorough. Like, I think Bitcoin is one of the most advanced cryptocurrencies. Like people think that it's like the oldest one. People think that it's the MySpace or whatever. No, uh, it is one of the most advanced, if not the most advanced cryptocurrencies in terms of the quality of developers. There are so many like projects and so many little things that they are improving on and optimizing on that people don't know. I think we went over 50 pull requests last night. 50 pull requests, like 12 different papers, like three different new like sub protocols, or it's it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm very bullish on Bitcoin, um, and I like Zcash too. So that's what I'll say. You like Zcash too? You're turning me on Zcash a little bit. Um, so people, the last thing I will say is this: uh, I think this highly inflationary, pre-overwinter, pre-sapling. Pre Zcon Zero, pre first halving, pre mobile wallets, um, maybe even pre Starks in the future, uh, pre like shorter, more compact, faster proofs. Uh, this general like bearish period and this general sort of next few months is a good time to invest in some Zcash, and that and I will publicly say that that's what I'm doing as well, uh, because. Once this this the once they will move to mandatory privacy, which is one of their 
hopes and dreams and plans. And once they have mobile wallets, and once right now it's like 80, 88% transparent and 12% um, Z or hidden addresses, mm -hmm. but they want to move to 90, 10 in the other direction. And once that's a reality, I think this is going to be a very interesting coin. Yeah, because people want their privacy. People want their privacy. And like You're billionaires. No denying that. Billionaires, like I think like Indian, Chinese, Russian billionaires, they want like a private store of value without yeah. people. I mean, like on Lightning, you will have some like private transactions or whatever. But like, I think having private on chain balances is very cool. Yeah. No, I would agree. I would agree. And uh, once again, I will say that I think this is like kind like, of a controversial view, but I think Zcash is the only contender for Bitcoin. And I will also say that Bitcoin is most likely to win. Yeah, I would concede that as well. I mean, Zuku was, was working with Jim McCoy back in the day on, um, what were they working on? Uh, Mojo Nation. Yeah, Mojo Nation, which was very similar to Bitcoin. Um, and on top of that, I, I, I've stated publicly in the past, like I think the next big debate in the Bitcoin space is fungibility, like privacy. For sure, it's, for sure. That's the next segwit battle is fungibility. I, like, in my research, I think like, it's not going to come in the next five years. No. On-chain fungibility. Oh, God, no. no. God, no. So, like, it might take decades. Like, well, the big hope is for like layer two fungibility, and it might be good enough for most people. Yeah. But like, we will see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. see. Because I think like big, if, 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 if any of these things go to like six, seven trillion or whatever, and then people are using these for business or people using these for big payments, whatever, um, like the big corporations or the billionaires, they like their privacy. Like it's really important. Yeah. Uh, I also like privacy, and I think it's a human right. Yeah, it is a human right. I would totally agree. Yeah. Um, like I don't it's like walk like I don't want to walk naked throughout the street you know? like, it's the same thing like um, because right now if you pay like at least on-chain transaction if you mm -hmm. use Bitcoin to pay like a, an AIDS doctor then everybody knows you have it you know yeah or the, a less dark example if you go to uh, Starbucks and pay like the Starbucks coffee with an on-chain transaction just hypothetical of course no one's doing that but um, they can see how much money you have where other shops have you been buying? What your salary is is deducible. Uh, how, what's your daily expenditure? What your daily? How much you're saving? How much you're buying? Who your friends are? How much your mom and dad have money? Like it's too much, man. Yeah, you know? yeah. Because, and these machine learning algorithms, big data crunching, all this data mining are only getting more sophisticated. And these systems, I mean, all the transactions since 2009, they can see what all the track is. Yeah, and people are pretty terrible at uh, maintaining their YouTube access. Uh, they'll just right give up their private like a bunch right. of people fucked up their privacy so like you can you can go full site you can go full cypherpunk and have like use open dimes as cash or whatever and have like reuse addresses and have air gapped like laptops whatever use like all these things but at the same time um it would be cooler if that's all abstracted away yeah yeah i will not disagree with that miran this has been a pleasure it's been an incredible conversation thank you sir where can we find out more about you? Where should uh, we? You can find me on Twitter at must stop Murad. We must stop him because he's going to change the world. Must stop M U R A D. M U R A D. Yes. And we must stop him because he's going to bring in a better future. That's what the government's saying right now. We're all, and you're doing the same with your podcast. We're all just doing our part to accelerating the adoption of cryptocurrencies. I'm happy to be on the front lines with you. Likewise, sir. My name is Marty Bent. You can find me at Marty Bent on Twitter. If you like this podcast, subscribe, rate, share. Subscribe to my newsletter, too. Link in the bio of my Twitter account. I love all y'all. Peace and love, freaks.